Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter uh, 1, so I invite you to turn there with me. Luke chapter 1. And here we have uh, the angel Gabriel appearing uh, to Mary uh, to announce uh, the birth of her son, uh, who will be the one to fulfill all of God's promises, specifically his promise uh, to provide a king whose kingdom will have no end. Uh, Before we read this passage, let's go before our God uh, first in prayer, that he might bless this word to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you for your word that reveals to us what is true and what you have accomplished um, in history, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we meditate and think upon these words and as we listen uh, to you, uh, may you give us ears to hear and may your word be powerful as it changes us, as it causes us to look to Christ, our King, and we pray this all in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, we'll read verses 26 through 38. This is the holy and inspired word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the, spirit, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So far from God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you notice the title of this sermon in the the bleak midwinter, uh, you might know that this title was taken from a poem uh, written by Christina Rossetti, and one of my favorite uh, Christmas poems with Christmas hymns uh, during this time of year. And some of you may know also how it opens up. It opens with a, a very wintry, cold scene, snow on snow, snow on snow. There's ice over the land. And in many ways, uh, the, that provides a kind of setting for Luke chapter 1. It is winter, not, not actually, but metaphorically. It's cold. God's people, for long, from long ago, had received God's promise, and God's promise has yet to be fulfilled. And snow on snow falls upon God's promise. And we see that reflected all throughout Luke chapter 1, even the verses before that we had read. We have Zechariah there, uh, kind of doing and going about his routine as he goes into the temple every year. We have, uh, for example, the shepherds later that are just watching their flocks by night. We have King Herod on the throne. Things seem quite ordinary and very much seems like uh, things are just continuing as they always are. Things have kind of iced over. And so we see uh, throughout Luke chapter 1 
something of what uh, C.S. Lewis captured when he said, oh, it's always winter, uh, but never Christmas. And that's the kind of attitude that seems to have settled in to uh, God's people. The promises of God are iced over, it seems. The promises of God have long been given and yet to have been fulfilled. And God's people fall into this routine. We see this uh, throughout. And so what we come to then in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 then is God breaking the ice. God, God cracking it open and saying that something new is coming. Something great is coming. All the, the hopes and dreams of the Old Testament, all that you longed for and anticipate, anticipated is going to arrive. And it's going to come in a way that is surprising to the world. In a way that is surprising and in a way that also reminds the world that they could not bring about the fulfillment themselves. It surprises them, but it also reminds them that they could not bring about the fulfillment itself. And this we see in our first point, the arrival, the arrival of the angel. Notice what we read in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, really important to notice the locations that are given to us here. Right? The angel is sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. What, what uh, Luke wants us to know and recognize here is that If the promise is to be fulfilled, if salvation is to come, if God's people are to be freed and come into new life, then it must, it cannot come from within, but must be sent from without. The the salvation that God is going to work for his people is one that is supernatural. And the word supernatural literally just means above nature, outside of nature. And the fact that the angel begins to break in and interrupt all that's going on shows that it's God who is going to intervene. It's God who is going to break in to open up his promises for his people. And so we see very early on that it's God who initiates. It's God who acts. It's God who is to receive all the glory of Christmas. All the glory that we're going to read about here of his son being born of his son coming, who will be named Jesus, who will be great, whose kingdom will have no end. All the glory of Christmas is to God alone. And that's what this messenger is revealing to Mary. The angel Gabriel was sent from God. He took the initiative. He acted in sending his, this messenger to reveal the good news that not only will an angel come from God, but a son will come from God as well. And it's worth pausing here just for a moment to be to kind of let this settle in. Because we breathe in an air of being our own saviors. That's the air we breathe in our culture, right? It's the message of Disney for a long time now, right? It's, it's, it's inside of you that you need to you know, draw it out, and through whatever course of events that takes place, the hero of the story ends up realizing that they had all that they needed to overcome whatever it was inside themselves all along. A long time ago, not a lot long ago, maybe five or six years ago, I think I saw the Lego movie, and I believe uh, Emmett was the main character, just an ordinary construction worker, right? And there's apparently this prophecy that he was supposed to be somebody special, and he ends up overcoming, and he ends up being a savior, 
But it turns out the prophecy was just made up. And Emmett, all along, just needed to know and realize that he had what he needed inside of himself all along to be someone special. Well, the message of Scripture is that, at least in this sense, you are not special. God is special. God is the one who saves. God is the one who can act. And God is the one who, ha- who has acted and initiated this salvation. And he does so in a surprising way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, you might expect, as some of the Jews in Jesus' day, in this day, uh, Zechariah's day, and all of them, might have expected the angel to say, to, to, to come and appear in one of the great cities. Maybe the city of Jerusalem, where the king David and his sons were to rule and reign. It's shocking that he appears to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It was a no-name town. It was an obscure town. And within that obscure town, he comes to an obscure young girl, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. You see, the angel and the way Luke is telling the story for us and recounting it for us is to show us that God appears and reveals his salvation in a hidden way. He reveals the glory of Christmas, the glory that belongs to him, in a hidden way so that those only with eyes to see can see it. Those whose eyes are the eyes of the world look to the great and the powerful, the prestigious, places of honor and power. They looked to Jerusalem. They were looking there for the king to come. But no, God sends his angel intentionally, wisely, to Nazareth and to this virgin Mary who was to be betrothed. And this same theme will continue throughout Jesus' ministry. Even Jesus himself will will pray to the Father, I thank you, Father, you've hidden hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but you've revealed them to little children. You've revealed them to those who humble themselves like little children. God uh, reveals his salvation. He uh, shows his glory in the place that the people least expected it and to the person they might have least expected as well. But one thing important is that Mary was betrothed, as it says, to Joseph, who was, and it's very significant, of the house of David. I know the children here are familiar with King David from the Old Testament. King David long ago had received a promise from God. We'll read that promise in this a little bit. But he received a promise that his son would reign on the throne. And here, Joseph is continuing that line, showing that in this family, God is going to fulfill that promise. That as Joseph adopts and receives the Christ to be born of the Virgin Mary, that this son will be a son of David. And so the son of David, with all the glory and the excellence and the majesty that would be attributed to him, is now being born in an obscure city, in the city of Nazareth. And so it's both both surprising, um, and it also causes us to recognize that if salvation is to come, it comes from God. And so that's our first uh, point, the... Uh, arrival. Uh, secondly, we have the announcement. Secondly, we have the announcement that the angel makes uh, to uh, to Mary. And this announcement, if I can pull my notes together here, 
This announcement can be summarized by simply that a king of majesty will be born to a virgin of lowest humility. The king of highest majesty will be born to a virgin of lowest humility. Notice what the angel says uh, to, to Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The king of highest majesty will be born to a virgin of lowest humility. It's that that, that, uh, that causes Mary to receive God's favor, to have found favor with God. One humble, one willing to receive this message from God and to believe it. Mary stands very much in contrast to Zechariah earlier in this chapter. We didn't read those verses, but you can look back at them maybe this afternoon. Zechariah also has an angel appear to him while he's in the temple of all places. The temple has a picture of God's heavenly throne. Zechariah going in there at once a year. If you're to be if you're to encounter an angel, you'd expect it to be there. And yet when the angel appears to Zechariah in the temple, Rather than um, being ready for it, Zechariah is shocked and surprised and, and scared. And the angel gives him a message that he does not believe. And so the angel says that Zechariah will be mute until he sees the fulfillment of this promise. You see, Zechariah, the high priest of the time, did not receive with humility and belief the message from God. Showing again the iciness that came over the people of God. The high priest himself wasn't ready. The high priest himself wasn't expectant. And yet Mary, in a no-name town, receives the message from the angel. And this remains true of God's people today. Are we expectant to hear God's word? Are we expectant to receive his messengers and to receive it with belief? to hear the message of Christmas, to hear the message that a son has been born and to believe that message. There's great, those who do find favor with God. And of course, Mary is singled out as the one who is the mother of the son of God, the mother of Jesus Christ incarnate. And notice the message that is given to Mary. She's told not to be afraid. The presence of an angel, of course, would be quite frightening with the splendor and brilliance of their appearance. She's told not to be afraid. And she reminds her, her, or tells her, reveals to her, that the the baby to be born in her, conceived and born from her, will be the one who will break open God's promises. Yes, snow on snow has fallen. Yes, it has grown cold. But winter is breaking. Christmas is coming. The promise and the promised king will arrive. Notice with me if you if you want to turn or listen to in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. At this point in Israel's history, King David has been established. He's received the kingdom. Uh, The God has plucked it out of the hands of Saul 
and now given it to King David where he reigns. And King David notices that he lives in a lavish uh, palace and he, des- and he desires to build the Lord a house. And as he goes about his plans, uh, the prophets remind him that it will not be David who will build a house for the Lord, but the Lord will build a house for David. Again, the Lord doing and acting for his people. And notice the promise he gives to King David long ago. There in verse, uh, verse 10, actually verse, nine, uh, verse 8, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and, pl- and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the great promise that God had given long ago to his servant David. And here, as the angel echoes much of that promise, we can't draw all those links, it'll be a little bit tedious, but we hear the echoes of that promise coming out in the, in, in, uh, the angel's announcement to Mary. Specifically, this son will be great, even as David was promised a great name. And we might ask the question, well, what is greatness then? What is the greatness that this son will possess? What kind of king will this son to be born be? How will he rule? And how will he defeat his enemies? What kind of king? Well, some of us might be familiar with the title of Alexander the Great. He received the title being the Great because of his great conquests. One who ruled a, a, a vast empire and a vast kingdom. And we attribute greatness to him because of his power, because of his strength, because of his ability to conquer. Will that be the kind of king Jesus will be? Well, yes and no. Because he, yes, he will have the nations for himself. Yes, he is king of kings and lord of lords. Yes, he is the one who will say after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So yes, he will be great. And his name will be confessed by those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it will be confessed by all that he is Lord. To Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. And in that sense, he is great. But he is not great and does not achieve his greatness, I should rather say, in the same way that Alexander the Great or all the other conquerors of the world have achieved it. His greatness will not be achieved through earthly power. His his greatness will not be achieved 
through his self-exaltation here on earth, through his own efforts, not be raising an army, not be taking over the political realm of Rome. No, but rather his greatness will be seen as one who humbles himself. The coming of the Son of God was the beginning of the humiliation of the Son of God. His birth was the first step that would lead ultimately to the cross. When we think about the cradle of Christ, we of course need to be reminded of the cross of Christ. And not only the cross of Christ, but through that cross, the crown of Christ as well. The three are related, the cradle, the cross, and the crown. And Jesus then shows us the path to true greatness. Not the path that is laid before us by the wisdom of the world, but the path that is laid before us by the wisdom of God. One that endures, one that goes through suffering, not around it, and one that ultimately takes up its cross and follows Christ. The birth of Christ, the birth of the Son of God, is the love of God on display because he is sending his Son to die, as we spoke about in the first service. He's sending his son, not merely for warm, fuzzy feelings inside, yet they may cause that, it's fine, but he's sending his son to die for sinners. His name will be Jesus. He will save his people from his sins. He will be the king, and he will bring about his reign through his humility. Right? We read about uh, the city of Jerusalem here, or we might expect uh, the city of Jerusalem to be spoken of here, and yet it's not. Yet Jesus, the rightful heir to the throne of King David, the one who is to be great and whose name is to be great, the one whose house will be established forever and his kingdom will have no end, rather than going to Jerusalem to receive a king's welcome, though he does in his triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, but he sets his face to Jerusalem, as Luke chapter 9 is going to go on to say a few chapters later. He sets his face to Jerusalem Not to take the throne immediately, but rather to go there to die, to be crucified on a cross. And yet it's this son, by going to Jerusalem to die, who will be raised king of kings and lord of lords of the heavenly Jerusalem, of the kingdom of heaven that will come with him when he returns again. And so, as we just back out and think about what is promised to Mary and what is contained in this son, right? We just had um, a son born to the Atterbury's, a daughter born to Eva, right? And, and the birth of a, of a son or a daughter, right? There's expectation, there's hope, there's things that we, we look to in this, these children. And when we look to the child, the Christ, who was to be born of Mary, we see expectation beyond what hum, human power can accomplish. And we see it accomplished in the way that God purposes We see God himself not only breaking in, but then providing what's needed to fulfill his promise, giving his son. And so we've seen the arrival, the announcement, and then lastly, we want to think about the assurance that is given to Mary. In verse 34, it says uh, that Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then to give her assurance, reminds her that God is at work elsewhere uh, with a supernatural birth. He says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, 
who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The angel gives to Mary the assurance that is summed up that nothing will be impossible for God and with God. She asks the question, of course, she doesn't, she's not known a man, she's not yet, she's betrothed but not yet married, she has not yet known Joseph, and yet she used to be with child, how can this be? She took her biology classes, she understood what this meant. And so the angel, not providing the details and providing an exact, okay, this is how exactly it's going to, he just simply recognizes the creative power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who hovered over the face of the waters in the beginning, who ordered by the creation itself, is bringing about a new creation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It will be something, of course, supernatural. And so we confess, as the church has confessed for some 2,000 years, that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is a supernatural act to remind us that the Christ, the Savior of the world, could not come about through ordinary human means, through our own efforts and power, but God had to supernaturally intervene. God had to act, and he has done so by the power of his Holy Spirit, causing Mary to conceive, Mary to bear the Christ and to give birth to him. So that the child to be born both was truly God and truly man. 100% God, 100% man. As the Son of God takes to himself a true humanity that he might identify himself with us and that he might be our gracious king. He might rule us as he does even today by his word and spirit. And that he might then receive all honor and glory from his people today as we recognize his greatness, though it is veiled and concealed at present. But the day when Christ comes again, the child who was born in the cradle, the one who endured the cross, the one who received the crown, he is returning. He's coming with the kingdom that is forever and ever. He's coming with the kingdom so that the nations must bow before him. He's coming that he might be proved. And that king will then on that day receive all glory and honor. And so today is a day of salvation. Christmas preaches salvation. The Christ is one who came to save. And so the message of salvation goes out freely to all people. To humble yourself before this king. To believe that he is the son of God. The savior of the world. And to rest in him in his cross, in his resurrection, and in his return. That is what it calls us to today. So the announcement given to Mary finds its fulfillment in chapter 2. And that son, again, is today, King of kings, Lord of lords. And that son deserves all glory and honor, for he is great and greatly to be praised. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed your wisdom um, in your word uh, to us in, in the way of salvation in Christ. Father, while we may have expected greatness in terms of worldly standards, yet you have shown what true greatness is in Jesus Christ. So give us eyes of faith to look to him, to trust in him, 
and to know that he is today King of kings, Lord of lords, that his kingdom will have no end. And Father, may we give you all glory and praise for this salvation is of you alone. It has come from you. It has been accomplished by you. And so, Father, may we then um, humble ourselves before you, cast our crowns at the feet of Christ, and may he receive all glory and honor, we pray in his name. Amen.